Matthew chapter 6 is part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason it's called the Sermon on the Mount is because at the beginning of this sermon in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, it says, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying. And so Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is one continuous uh, sermon, one continuous teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples, those who follow him. We saw in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus called uh, some disciples to himself and he told them, follow me, follow me. And he called them by name. And, and just like those disciples, Christ has also called us. He has called us out of the world by name. He knows your name. And he calls us to himself and he calls us to follow him. And when Christ calls us to follow him, we, we turn from our sin. We, we trust in his work of redemption for us on the cross. We put our faith in him. And when we do that, our sins are forgiven. We are made clean. We are reconciled to God. We are made right by, with God. We are saved by Jesus. And so this message, this sermon that Jesus gives here, Matthew 5 through 7, it is a, a teaching on what God's people, those who have been saved by Jesus, those who, who follow him, well, what does that look like? What, what does it look like now that my sins are forgiven? Now that I have been set free? And so what Jesus is teaching here is not... I want to underscore this at the beginning. It is not how to earn your way to heaven. Amen. It is not. Jesus is not teaching here how to be made right with God. There's only one way to be made right with God. And that is by grace through faith. Not our own works. But for those of us who have received the work of Christ. How do we then live how do we then live and specifically we can frame it this way what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God and that's what Jesus here is teaching on in Matthew 5 through 7 what life looks like living in the kingdom of God Jesus has given practical teaching on a whole host of 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 areas of life from what our character should look like how our relationships, how we would relate to one another, how we should pray. Last week, Pastor Mark talked on how we should use our money, spending our money, investing our money into things that matter, not just wasting it on things that have no eternal significance. And that leads us here to this teaching today. We're going to look at verses 25 through the end of the chapter but I want to start with verse 24 because 25 really is an extension. This teaching today is an extension of that teaching on laying up treasure on earth or laying up treasure in heaven from last week. And so Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 it says, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. That's spinning yarn, producing clothing. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that is, those who do not follow Christ, those who are not disciples, those who are outside of God's covenant of grace, the Gentiles seek after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray today that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, or that you would help me to uh, do right by your word today, that you would help us to grow in our faith, grow in our understanding of living in your kingdom, of seeking first your kingdom. Lord, that we would all walk, a here, walk away from here today with a renewed determination to seek first your kingdom in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, in his commentary, there's a, a real famous uh, Bible commentator named Warren Wearsby. And in his commentary on this passage, he had a great outline that broke it down into three sections. All three of them begin with the letter F. The first is faith, where he says, oh, you have little faith. The second is father. Don't you know your heavenly father knows that you need these things? And the third F is first, to seek first the kingdom. So I'm going to order my thoughts today around these three key words, faith, father, and first. We're going to move through the first two rather quickly this morning and we'll spend the majority of the time, hopefully, on that final word first. So faith, faith, this first section. Here Jesus begins by saying, therefore. And as I've said many times before, and I've, I've quoted my grandmother who taught me that when you see the word therefore, you have to look and see what it is therefore. And so this is a continuation of the thought you cannot serve God and money. You, you have to put one first. You have to put one of these first. And, and money in this context is really a representation of the material things of life. 
This is what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 1 of you can either serve the creator or you will serve some part of the creation. You will either serve God, the creator, or you will serve and seek after some other part of the material world, some other part of something that God has made. So it's either the creator or it's the creation. It's either God or money, material things, material possessions. And Jesus here is saying in our passage today, since you can't serve both God and money, here's what serving God looks like. Here's what serving God looks like. You should not worry. You shouldn't worry. You should not be anxious, as it says, about your life, about the material things of life. This word anxious in in other translations is translated as worry. I think those are both good terms. The word worry means mental distress or anguish, agitation, resulting from concern, usually for something impending or anticipated. Worrying, thinking about what will come tomorrow, what will come in the future. Jesus here says, don't worry about the material things of life. What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. He says that there is something more important than just the the physical things of this world. He's saying don't allow your mental state to be overcome with fears and anxiety about the future, especially when it comes to your material needs. You might be thinking, well, don't I need those things? Shouldn't I give thought to those things? Shouldn't I? I, I'm worried about them because I need them. And Jesus here in our text, he gives us two object lessons to show that we don't need to worry about these things. The first object lesson that he points to is the birds. He says, look at the birds of the field. Look at them. Look how God takes care of them. Look how God feeds them. If God will feed the birds, will he not much more feed you? Aren't you more important than birds to God? The answer is yes. And so if God's going to feed the birds, guess what? He's going to feed you. He's going to feed his children. The second thing that he points to is the lilies of the field. He says, look at them. Look how beautiful they are. And in San Antonio, we might say, look at the blue bonnets. Look, go out and... Go with the VIPs on the bus tour and go look at the blue bonnets and and look at how beautiful they are, how majestic they are, how how awe-inspiring and breathtaking they are. If God is, is so meticulous in taking care of and clothing the grass, will he not much more clothe you and take care of you? Aren't you of more valuable to God than the grass of the field? The answer is yes. And so every time we see a bird that's being well fed by God, and every time we see a beautiful field covered in flowers, clothed by God, it should serve to us as a reminder, God's going to feed me. 
God's going to clothe me. I don't have to worry about tomorrow because I have a Father who is in heaven who will feed me, who will clothe me, who will take care of me. In this section of object lesson, Jesus concludes with a statement. In verse 30, he says, O you of little faith. O you of little faith. If you find that you are worried over these things, the material things of life, it reveals a lack of faith in God. If you find yourself overly burdened with what, what, was, what will the future hold, it reveals a lack of faith and trust in God who is sovereign over all. It shows that, that you are trusting not in God but in yourself. You're trusting in yourself to make things happen. If you find yourself worrying about Tomorrow, worrying about what will come. Jesus concludes this whole passage in verse 34, says, don't be anxious, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worrying is bad enough as it is, but worrying today about things that might happen tomorrow, that's even worse. That's bringing into today the, the troubles that might be Tomorrow, don't burden today with things that haven't happened yet. Isn't there enough today to deal with? Amen. Amen. Oh, you of little faith, Jesus says. Which leads us here to the second word, going from faith to Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Again, God feeds the birds. God clothes the grass. God will take care of you. Charles Spurgeon put it this way about that passage where he says, oh, you have little faith. He, he said, little faith is a big sin. Little faith is a big sin. If you find yourself worrying about tomorrow... It reveals a sin issue of a lack of trust in God as your father. When we get to Matthew chapter 7, we'll look at verse 11, which talks about how earthly fathers, how they desire to give good gifts to their children. How, how earthly fathers who are good fathers will, will provide for and they will take care of all of their children's needs. They will make sure that they are well fed. They will make sure that they are well clothed. They will make sure that, that they have a place to sleep and a place to lay their head. And even more than that, they love to shower their children with good things. And Jesus says this, if you who are evil, of course we all know that we're fallen and sinful, but, and, and so if we who are fallen and sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
If we find ourselves worrying about our supply, our provision, about the material things of life, preoccupied with material things, with material possessions, it reveals a lack of faith. It it reveals an inadequacy in our own hearts, in our relationship to God as our Father. You'll remember the Lord's Prayer that we've been praying every day at 3 p.m. I hope you've been doing that. I sure have been enjoying that. I've encouraged the church to do that over the next month or so as we anticipate uh, this change that we're making, that every day we're pausing at 3 p.m. to pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Yesterday, I just happened to be at Six Flags yesterday when 3 p.m. rolled around and I gathered my little flock together and we prayed the Lord's Prayer right there in the middle of Six Flags. Uh, But... I mean, yes, praise the Lord. And, I'm sh- and if we pass the mic around, I'm sure you could tell us a great host of stories of ways that you have prayed uh, the Lord's Prayer over the last uh, week. But in the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus calls us to is to begin by praying what? Our Father who art in heaven. And he goes on to teach us to pray, give us today our daily bread. But... Before we pray for our daily bread, what is it that we must pray? We must pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which is to say our daily bread, the material things of life, is not what we are living for. It's not what we're living for. Which leads us to our third word today, first What are we living for? Well, just as the Lord taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Here now, Jesus says that we're not to seek after all these other things, but instead we're to seek after, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is a monumental statement. It really is, I believe, in this statement, the sum total of the Christian life. The sum total of the Christian life can be summed up in this statement of seeking first the kingdom of God. It's a small statement and it's it's packed in the middle of this longer sermon and, and it's often overlooked. It's often overlooked. But again, I have come to believe that this small statement that Jesus makes is the most important principle on how to live life. How should we live our lives? You see, the the, the Christian faith is not just about some some ideas, some doctrines that you believe. If If the faith that you profess and And the things that you believe, if they don't touch your life in the way that you live. Well, what is it the Apostle James says about that? He says, faith without works is dead. If the things that I believe, if my faith, my Christian faith, doesn't touch how I live, it's a dead faith. It's not a saving faith. It's not a vibrant faith. It's not true faith. It's just some ideas that you have in your head. And so this principle of seeking first the kingdom of God, this is the way to live life. It's 
the way to live life. There, and I would, I would argue there's no other way to live life. Amen. That every other so-called way of living life is just pursuing the creations, pursuing some part of creation, acquiring something else other than seeking first God instead of seeking the creator. And so we, we should, as, as God's people, we should therefore filter everything in our lives through this statement. This, this statement, seeking first the kingdom of God, it should be our, as God's people, it should be our preoccupying thought every day, every hour, every minute, 24-7. You might say, well, how can you say that? That's kind of... You're, you're making quite a claim this morning. Well, I'll tell you how I can say it. It's because that's what Jesus said. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Jesus said it. But seek first. First. That, that puts this at the top of everything. Of everything. That there's nothing above this for us as Christians on how we live our lives. If we put anything above this, it's idolatry. If we, I'll put it another way. If we put anything above this, we're not following Jesus. Amen. This is what Jesus taught. And so if Jesus taught, this is how you live your life, and I am not living my life that way, I am not, therefore, following Jesus. I'm following what I want. I'm following my own heart. Seek first. The kingdom of God. We're all searching for something. All of humanity is searching for something. This word seek, search, it, it means to set your heart on, to set your mind on. It's the focus of your, your life, the intention of, of your soul, the affections of your heart. What are you seeking after? What preoccupies your thoughts? What what is it that drives you? What is it that makes you tick as a person? What are you living for? We're all searching after something. We're all living for something. If you have nothing to live for, you're hopeless, you're depressed. We all are living for something. What is it that you're living for? What is it that you're searching for? What is it that drives you? When you get out of bed in the morning, when... When your feet hit the ground, what is it that you're searching after? What is it that you're living for? Jesus says the only way for his people to live their lives is to seek first the kingdom of God. So it's not an issue of whether or not you're going to seek after something. The issue is what are you seeking after? It's not an issue of what you're going to uh, whether or not you're going to live for something. We're all living for something. The issue is, what are you living for? And Jesus says, first and foremost, above all else, we are to seek the kingdom of God. Which leads us to the question, what is the kingdom of God? I've been talking about this uh, for the last few weeks in King's Bible Institute, so I'm going to call on one of the students right now, put them on the spot and make them come up here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. 
All of them had a heart attack. Uh, CPR, we need CPR to res... Anyway, so, uh, no, we're, we're, I'm not going to do that, but I have been teaching on that. But I do think that one of the reasons that this passage is so often overlooked is that most Christians don't have a well-formed idea of what the kingdom of God is. And so they see this, okay, seek first the kingdom of God. I know I'm supposed to do this, but what is a kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? I don't see it. I don't understand it. It's just kind of this nebulous idea up there somewhere, and therefore it gets overlooked. But the kingdom of God is simply this. It is the rule and the reign of Christ. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of Christ. The place where Christ rules and reigns. And as we looked at in Revelation 1.5, the rule and the reign of Christ is not only some future reality, which it is, but it's also a present reality. Christ rules and reigns now. Now. So the kingdom of God has been established. The kingdom of God is growing in the world. And it will grow until it fills the whole earth, the Bible says, as the water covers the sea. Amen? Every day, we sang it this morning, every day, every knee, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that, that's where the kingdom is going, but you and I are still part of the kingdom now. It has been established now. So the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of Christ right now. Not someday, today. Amen? The kingdom of God is not someday. The kingdom of God is today. Right here and right now. Where Christ rules and Christ reigns. So to seek first the kingdom of God, it is to therefore labor, to work towards expanding Christ's rule and reign. As Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come your will be done on earth, right here, right now. So to, to seek first the kingdom it is to labor, to see God's kingdom, God's rule, Christ's rule and reign grow and expand. Amen? And so when we think of growing or expanding Christ's rule and reign, we often think of evangelism, right? Bringing people into the kingdom, proclaiming the gospel that they might hear about the king who left heaven's throne and lived a sinful life and, and a sinless life and was born of the virgin and died in our place for our sin and rose again and that we can have life and eternal life through faith in him and repentance of sin. We, we think of proclaiming that message and sharing that message so that other people might come into the kingdom. And yes and amen. We should evangelize. We should be sharing the gospel. But an area that is often overlooked is the kingdom of God in our own lives. The rule and the reign of Christ in our lives. And so we can seek to see God's kingdom, the rule and reign of Christ, expand as we submit every area of life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
the rule and reign of Christ in my own life, in my own heart, in my own thoughts. And so in this respect, seeking first the kingdom means seeking the will of God in every situation and every circumstance. That everywhere we go, all day, every day, we're seeking your will be done. Not my will be done. God, your will be done. And God's will is revealed in his word. So that as I seek to bring my life under the lordship of Christ, under the rule and reign of Christ, aligning my life with his word, there Christ's rule and reign happens. There I am seeking first the kingdom of God. And so here's the big idea on seeking first the kingdom of God. It does not mean that I neglect other areas of my life to pursue serving God. That's not what seeking first the kingdom means. Seeking first the kingdom does not mean taking away time from my family or taking away time from work or taking away time from pursuing my education or even recreation or taking away time from my other relationships to seek after God. That's not what seeking the kingdom means. Seeking the kingdom means that we seek after, that we uh, attempt to bring every area of life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So it's not that God is in competition with my family. And so, well, I'm going to serve God and neglect my wife and kids. Well, no, if I do that, I'm not serving God. Because God's word teaches me how to serve my family, how to, how to rightly order my family. And it's like that in every area of life. So it's not that, that God takes first place over against my work and that my work and, and, and God are somehow in competition with one another. But it's that in my work, I submit to God's will as revealed in his word. What does that look like? Well, that means when I show up to work that I'm diligent. Because that's what God's word says. That I work hard. That I don't cheat that I don't lie, that I don't steal from my employer or employees, that I'm not late, that's stealing time, that I'm not, I don't leave early, that's, again, stealing time, that I don't gossip at my workplace, that if, depending on where I work, and again, we work in this world, that I don't rejoice in evil as evil is being pushed and the propaganda of the rainbow flag is being shoved down everybody's throats. I don't rejoice in that at work. I'm sorry, I serve Christ. He's my king. So I will not put my pronouns in my email signature. Because I serve Christ. So I don't bow to another king. I don't bow to another flag. This is what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of Christ. It means I don't sit idly by when God's name is taken in vain 
or blasphemed or lewd jokes about this and that. I'm sorry, I serve Christ. I'm not going to laugh at that. I'm not going to just sweep it under the rug either. That's my king you're talking about. That's my Jesus. That's my Savior. That's serving Christ at work. That's seeking first the kingdom at work. That's rightly ordering my priorities. And God says, he'll take care of me if I do that. So the thought is, well, if I don't do that, how am I going to pay my bills? I might get fired. I won't be able to eat. I won't have clothes. I won't, my material things in life. Well, God says, seek first his kingdom and all these other things will be added unto you. The thing is, if, if, if we refuse to seek God's kingdom, to put God first, to, to, to order our lives at work according to God's word, then we're worrying about our material well-being. And Jesus tells us not to do that, doesn't he? We must seek first the kingdom at work. Seeking to shine, the, the, be salt and to be light, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Showing the light of Christ, the love of Christ. Proclaiming the love of God that we find in the gospel, the forgiveness of sins. So God takes first place, again, not over against my family. But that in my family, I submit to God's will as revealed in his word. And when in my family I submit to God's will as as revealed in his word, I am seeking first the kingdom of God in my family. So what does that look like? Well, that means that the driving force for my family cannot be entertainment. It cannot be television. It cannot be anything else other than God. Just as the planets in our solar system orbit around the sun, God must be the central figure in our home around which all of our lives orbit. That we would, as parents, say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That it is known in our house, we serve Christ. And we call our children to do the same. And we hold each other accountable to it. That Christ is the standard of relationships in our home. That we love and live for Jesus in this home. That he is not a a by-thought. That he's not some sort of secondary, third-level afterthought. But that living for Christ in our home is, is the gravity around which all of us order our lives. So we pray together as a family. We come to worship together here corporately. We worship together in our home. We open his word in our family. We order our relationships with one another. Brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, children and parents. We order our relationships around the fruit of the spirit. Kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control faithfulness, respect. That's what Christ would have us do. And when one of us falls short, as we all do, 
We apply the gospel. We repent of sin with one another and with Christ. And we forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. And when we order our families according to the word of God, we are seeking first the kingdom in our family. It was the Puritan preacher Isaac Ambrose who said that the, the, the parents, a mother and a father, have the great privilege of establishing the kingdom of God in their home. You can have an enclave for the kingdom in your home. That's God's design for you, mothers and fathers, is to order your lives, to order your families so that you, in your home is a manifestation of God and his kingdom. So God takes first place at work, in my family, and also in my relationships. Not that God is in competition with my other relationships, but that in my relationships I seek to submit to God's will as revealed in his word. So this means in my relationships with one another, I must avoid the appearance of evil. Amen? So for me, what that's, this looks like is you will never, ever, ever find me alone with another woman. Amen. You'll never see that. I, it will never happen. Why? Because I'm avoiding the appearance of evil. That, that's just the way that we live our lives. And it's also wise to not be, find ourselves in compromising positions or, or temptation. Uh, in our relationships with one another, it means that we should not be flirtatious with the opposite sex. If I'm single, it means I'm abstinent. Amen. It means I'm not gossiping. It means I'm not spreading rumors. It means I'm not backbiting or putting others down. But I'm encouraging them. I'm lifting them up. I'm blessing them. I'm being respectful. I'm being kind. I'm being generous. I'm being loving. I'm being sincere. I'm applying the Ten Commandments here to my uh, the second table of the law, the, the, the commandments in regard to my relationships. So I do not steal, I do not murder, I do not covet, I do not commit adultery. And when I order my life according to God's will as revealed in his word in my relationships, I am seeking first the kingdom of God. It's not that God takes first place over against me pursuing an education, I think that's a great thing to do. I know we have uh, several young people in our congregation that are pursuing a degree. I, I think that's a wonderful thing to do. But it's that in my education, I submit to God's will as revealed in his word. So I'm not going to take a course of study that is antithetical to Christ and the teaching of Christ. I'm not going to devote myself to a, a, a life, a, a pursuit of something that is antithetical to what God reveals in his word. And I'm not going to submit what God's word says to just the, the autonomous dictates of some professor who set himself up as the arbiter of all truth. That everything that's said at university must be filtered through what the word of God says. God's self-attesting, authoritative, inerrant, infallible word. That if someone says that the Bible is in error, 
they are the ones who have just proven that they are in error. Again, that means I'm diligent, I'm hardworking, I'm studious, I'm not lazy. I show up on time, I don't wear my pajamas to class, things like this. I seek to shine the light and the love of Christ with all of my peers and fellow students, proclaiming the gospel as I have opportunity. So again, it's not God versus every other area of my life. It's not that I must seek the kingdom of God to the detriment of my family, my relationships, my work, my education, all these other things. No, it's that in every area of life, I seek to bring them under the rule and reign of Christ. I seek to align them with the lordship of Christ. And in doing that, I seek first the kingdom. There's a phrase, it goes like this. It applies to this. You can sum it all up with this phrase. All of Christ for all of life. All of Christ for all of life. A lot of people just want a part of Christ. They want the salvation part. Jesus, my Savior. Jesus, save me from my sins. But it's not just Jesus, your Savior. It's Jesus, your Lord. We sang it this morning. He is Lord, he is Lord. He has risen from the dead. And he is Lord. So it's not just part of Christ for part of my life. No, it's all of Christ, Savior and Lord, for all of my life. Seeking the kingdom of Christ in every area of thought and life. In conclusion here today, Jesus makes us a beautiful promise. He says that if you seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added to you. This is a promise. This is a promise. You don't have to worry about your life. You don't have to worry about the material things of life. You don't have to worry. God will supply your needs as you seek first his kingdom. If you're thinking, well, but, what about, well, but, what about? But seek first the kingdom is what Jesus says. The issue is, are you going to order your life according to your best thoughts and wisdom? Or you're going to order your life according to the wisdom of the Son of God? In the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve were presented with two trees. And God gave them instructions. You can eat from the tree of life or you can eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God warned them about what would happen if they feasted on the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he invited them to come and to feast on the tree of life, that tree of life which represented Christ. Life in the Garden of Eden was very good. God supplied all of their needs. All of their needs were supplied from the hand of God. There was still work to do. There was still labor to do. There were still things to do for God. As having dominion that God gave Adam over the earth. But all of their needs were supplied by the hand of God. We know the story that instead of feasting on the tree of life, instead of feasting on Christ, they chose the path of self 
sufficiency. They chose to to go their own way. They, They chose to try to be autonomous from God. Living in God's world, living in God's garden. They thought they could live life on their own terms. And they found themselves banished from the garden, separated from the tree of life. And mankind throughout the centuries has pursued not the life of faith and trusting in God, but the life of self-sufficiency. And this path of autonomy, of self-sufficiency, it leads to worry and anxiety. Because we try to hold the world in our hands. Something we were never designed to do. But now God in Christ beckons us back to himself. God in Christ beckons us to another tree. He beckons us to the cross. The the tree that looked like a tree of death. But three days later, we found out that that tree was the tree of life. That it was through that tree that Christ purchased for us a way, the way, to be reconciled back to the Father, to be freed from our self-will, to be freed from our so-called independence. So in Christ, God beckons us back to the tree of life. He beckons us back to the life of faith. He beckons us back to trusting in Him to supply all of our needs as we look to Him and not to ourselves. As we feast on Christ. All of Christ for all of life. And in doing so, we trust him to provide for all of our needs. And the beautiful thing is that in Christ, we rest. We Sabbath in him. Because his work on the cross is finished. We no longer have to work and to labor to try to make ourselves right with God. We can't. Jesus on the cross said the work is finished. We rest in his finished work. So we do not work for our righteousness. We do not work for our needs to be supplied because he will supply our needs. Instead, we do labor but we labor to expand his kingdom. We labor to expand his glory, to proclaim his message, to bring our lives in alignment with the word of God. You see, we all live in God's world. None of us is autonomous. Autonomy is a delusion. Every breath you take is borrowed from your creator. Every meal you eat is borrowed from God, is given to you by God. Therefore, if God will take care of our material needs, how much more should we seek him on the things that truly matter and put him first in the spiritual, in the immaterial things of life? God our Father has promised to supply all of our needs if we will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness if we will feast upon Christ and not upon the tree of knowledge of good and evil, of going our own way, but truly following his way.